Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back. We will pick up where we left off, and the two dri- tribes of the southern kingdom taken captive after both the northern, northern and southern tribes or kingdoms are taken ca- captive, the times of the Gentiles begins. Look at Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, let's read verses 20 through 24. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Oh, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. To say the information was correct, but I'm not seeing the verse I'm looking for. But all right, so so the times of the Gentiles, it it must be fulfilled according to the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Luke. So when England carved out a space and gave it to the Jews and called it Israel, that didn't mean the time of the Gentiles came to an end. People held this as the fulfillment of prophecy. There's, there's no prophecy about that in the Word of God whatsoever. And they're still under full control of the Gentiles. They are still completely subject to the Gentiles. They have no option. They, they don't get to fully rule and reign in their own country the way that they want. And they're completely surrounded by Islam who hates them and wants to destroy them. So, so that, that, that's not the fulfillment of prophecy. It's, it's part of the judgment. You're under Gentile control until that time be fulfilled. And it looks like the fulfillment of that time is going to come about when these ten kings, which is the iron mingled with clay, then the Lord will return and smash that kingdom. That's what's next in in, in terms of the prophecy in Daniel, that's what's next. Um, the authenticity. Jesus quoted from the book of Daniel with approval. Right? People often say, well, Daniel didn't write this, um, and then it was written much later. It wasn't written in the time period of, of Daniel's captivity, and Daniel didn't write it. Someone else wrote it. Um, well, there are a few problems with that. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, look at Matthew 24. We're already in the four Gospels. Actually, we're here in Luke. Look at Luke 21, 
verse uh, 20. 21 verse 20. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation... Wait, is that the one I want? Oh, yeah, the desolations, but that's not... Look back at Mark 13. So that's that period of the desolations, but you're going to see it in these... In Matthew and Mark, you're going to see it referred to as the desolations spoken of by Daniel the prophet. All right, so it's referring you back to the book of Daniel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ talking. Mark 13, verse 14. Uh, verse 14, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. All right, so that's, that's the Lord Jesus Christ talking. And he said, I am referring in, in my teachings to something written by Daniel the prophet. <laughs> that's pretty important. So that means that Jesus didn't think that this was written by an imposter years later. Jesus thought this was written by Daniel. And I don't think he made a mistake because he probably gave him the prophecy. Uh, so it, it, this is pretty reliable. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him what? Understand. We have a lot of fear of books like Revelation and Daniel. The Revelation is called the Revelation. (laughs) It's the revealing. It's not meant to confuse you. The Lord says, when you read and study this passage from Daniel, you need to read it and understand it, which means that is available to you. To all of us. It is complex. It's a complex book, but it's not beyond our ability to understand it. It just, you got to dig and study and figure some things out. (laughs) Um, Other passages quoted by Jesus. The Lord Jesus quoted Daniel 8.13, Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, and Daniel 12.11. Sorry? You didn't get all those? Daniel 8.13, Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, Daniel 12.11. Everybody got that that wants it? All right, Ezekiel 14. God gave Ezekiel a word regarding Daniel. And a few other men. Sounded like a cow started. (laughs) How did a cow get up here? (laughs) Up on this hill. So uh, Ezekiel 14. It's just just Islam, that's all. Um, Ezekiel 14. Verses 12 through 16. Start, yeah, verse 12 through 16. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, so who gave him what what he's about to say? The Lord, right? Verse 13, son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread thereof and will send famine upon it and will cut off man and beast from it. It doesn't sound like a good idea to be disobedient to God. It doesn't go well. (laughs) And it's God who sets in motion these repercussions for people being disobedient, especially his own people. Uh, So we should really try not to do that. Verse 14, though these three men, all right, now the Lord just said, son of man, prophesy, you disobey against me. This is what I'm going to do to you, right? Verse 14, though these three men, Noah Daniel and Job were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. God said, the only thing that would keep me from destroying this land are Daniel, Job, and Noah. (laughs) Now, I notice my name is not there. (laughs) Which means I have a lot of work to do. But God said of Daniel, Noah, and Job that their character is such that when it's time for me to judge this land because of their wickedness against me, 
The only thing that could save you is one of those three men. That's what God thought of Daniel. Daniel had an excellent spirit. Verse 15, if I came, if I cause noisome, yeah, verse 15, if I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beasts, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. God said, I'd get them out. All right, so what's the, what's the, what's the most perfect picture of this? Hmm? What did you say? Again? No, the, the flood of Noah's day. God destroyed the land, but who did he get out? Noah and his family. God said, if Daniel was there, I'm still destroying that land, but I'll get Daniel out. That means God thinks very highly of of men like Daniel. Now, the testimony of Daniel. Look at Daniel 8, 15. Daniel 8, verse 15. Who wrote the book? That's what we want to know. According to Lord Jesus Christ, he thought Daniel wrote it. God thought so highly of Daniel that uh, he said, if I had to judge the, the land, I would get him out. Uh, Daniel 8, verse 15. And it came to pass that when I, even I, Daniel. <laughs> now, either somebody's really confused about who they are or Daniel's trying to tell you something. I wrote this. Now, that takes us back to when I said earlier about the second half of the book referring to Daniel in the first person. I. I wrote this. I'm writing these words. It's me that it's talking about. All right? So now, the book itself. It's written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Aramaic is from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28. There is a direct reference to the future resurrection in Daniel 12, 1 through 3. So, in the, so let's go to Daniel 12. Let's look at that real quick. Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. What is that talking about? Tribulation. Those match the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew. All right, so, and, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall what? Shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So, so later when the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to guys like, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and all these people who came and, and mocked him and, and, and didn't understand the resurrection. And he's like, have you not read? It was written. Well, here's an example of where it was written. There's, there's a resurrection described right there. And, and so that resurrection is coming, just as the Lord said. Um, Daniel details the Messiah's first coming. Look at Daniel 9. Daniel 9 and verses 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem, that's at the end of the captivity. That's in the day of Nehemiah. Right? Artaxerxes gives the command to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, from that time unto what? Messiah the prince 
shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The, 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 the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. All right, this is all reference to his first coming. And then, then the prophecy details also eventually his second coming. Uh, the layout of the book, we talked about that. Daniel 1 through 6 is historical primarily, and 7 through 12 primarily prophetic. Faithfulness. The book repeatedly demonstrates men who were faithful and unerring, even in troublous times. Their environment and surroundings were not allowed to become excuses for compromise. The book also demonstrates that revolution and taking up arms against the government do not appear to be biblical options. But standing fast and preaching the truth, despite the consequences, are God's methods of overcoming totalitarian rule. Now, I am an American. In relationship to this, that means nothing to you. If other Americans were here, they'd be shouting right now because they know exactly what it means. I own guns. Okay? If Americans own guns, it's a constitutional right that we have. There are 300 million Americans in the United States of America. There are more guns than there are Americans. <laughs> and so the way our country is structured, the way our constitution is structured, we have that right to bear arms in case our government becomes tyrannical. That's what it's there for. It's two, two purposes. To protect your home so that you can be a strong man. And in case the government goes too far and overstretches its bounds, then we the people will rise up and fight against our own government if it becomes too tyrannical. All right, that's, that's the way America is structured. No other country in the world <laughs> is structured that way. All right, our founding fathers, the men who created our government, said we are going to build into the government the right for those people to fight their government if they get too far outside the bounds of this document, the Constitution. All right? Now, that puts us as Christians in a hard spot. Because we have on one hand that American George Washington spirit that says, don't tread on me. I'm going to, I, you know, I own my property. You're not allowed to come onto it. You stay out of my business and we'll be okay. But then you have the Christian doctrine that says, I never gave you the right to go and fight your government. <laughs> and so it becomes very difficult because we, we live in this we live in this. Now, fortunately, our little way out, our little, you know, caveat, the qualifier is Romans 13 says to obey the government. Our Constitution says we have the right to bear arms and can fight our government <laughs> if we need to. All right. So that's our little, you know, caveat to all that. Daniel didn't fight. It says Daniel knew the decree had been signed. Right? And what did he do? He went over to the window. <laughs> he didn't say, let me close this curtain and hide. He opened it up, opened the windows, and he prayed like he had done every day before that decree had been signed. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, you better bow before that image. I'm sorry, king. We are not careful to answer you in this. We are not going to bow to that image. All right, you're going in the furnace. I understand. That's the biblical approach. It is not, let's get the churches together, let's arm everybody, let's go fight the government. That's not how it happened in the, in the Word of God. Look, we've talked to you here before. What happens is the government is given so much authority. God has more authority. God tells you to obey the government until you're put in a position when the government says you need to obey us rather than God. Then you have to say, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. Okay, then I'm throwing you in jail. I might put you to death. I might throw you in a lion's den. I might set you on fire. I understand. 
I am willing to suffer the consequences of being obedient to God rather than to you at this point in time. Everybody understand that? Now, that's hard for an American because I mean, we have guns, a lot of guns, <laughs> and a lot of ammo, and we're ready to fight. But that's not, that's, that's, a, that's an American idea. That's not a biblical idea. And so it, it's, it's often hard for Americans to distinguish between those two. Sometimes we're, we're so zealous about our, our old country, the way it used to be, but it left us a long time ago. Now our country is LGBTQ and transgender and, and white people are evil. And um, I mean, it's, it's so ungodly right now that what is there left to do? What, what is there to defend? Right. So, so it's, you have to weigh those consequences. Um, all right. Daniel 1.1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, under Jerusalem, and besieged it. Now Judah's present distress began in the reign of Jehoiakim and will carry on for 70 years. Daniel was taken captive in the third year of Jehoiakim. All right, that, that's uh, this, all these battles we talked about. Pharaoh Necho went against Babylon. So Pharaoh Necho took, took Jehoiakim, took Jerusalem, made them subject to him, and then Pharaoh Necho thought it would be a good idea to go against Nebuchadnezzar, and he found out that was not such a good idea. You should have just been happy with Jerusalem and went back and maybe built your military up a little bit more or something because it didn't work out. Babylon defeated Pharaoh Necho. Babylon came and besieged Jerusalem. Jehoiakim had been put in as king by Egypt. And so, so that's where we are. This, this, this first siege in the, in the third year of Jehoiakim is when Nebuchadnezzar defeated him, put him in fetters, but then had to go back because his father died. When he went back, he took Daniel and the other Hebrews with him and part of the vessels of the house of God. All right, that's when all that happened. And again, we're going to go over this probably multiple times from different angles. Uh, hopefully it'll be clear to you um, before it's over. Uh, Daniel lived in a complicated time for Judah. They had devolved into an idolatrous people led by lying pastors and corrupt kings. That is not a good position to be in. All right, now, in that, in that atmosphere, you can be Daniel and say, look, you, you people go do what you want. I'm not going with you. Or you can go join in and say, well, everybody else is doing it. Now, both of you are going to end up going into captivity together. But the difference is, on the other side in captivity, the Lord is going to be helping you if you remain faithful. We don't read about any of the other people. Who knows what they did, how they fared, how it turned out. They were happy living for Baal in Judah. Well, they probably just went and lived for Baal in, in Babylon. But they were not blessed the way Daniel was, or Hananiah, or, or Mishael, or Azariah. All right, so... You got to make your choice. It's going to come with consequences. It's going to be hard. You want to live an elevated Christian life. You want to try and be closer to the Lord, be more faithful to the Lord. Your own people are not going to like you. Just be kind to them. Try to encourage them. Stay faithful to the Lord. If you have a desire to do more, to go further for Jesus Christ, do it. Don't let the complexities of relationships prevent you from accomplishing that and living that way. Do it. The book of Jeremiah details their willingness to listen to lying lips as though the lies would dominate God's prophecies. If we could, you know, I really like what these lying pastors are saying. We'll just go with them and see if it'll outdo what God said is going to happen. Well, that didn't work out. <laughs> what God said was going to happen, that's exactly what happened. So stick with the Lord. The violation of God's Sabbaths, that is one reason why they were in captivity. All right, so, so now we're going to get into the specific reasons as to why they're in captivity. And the Lord named a few of them. We read a couple already. Their devotion to Baal, which is, which is ridiculous on its face. Uh, who would do anything that had anything related to Baal worship? Um, but more people 
are involved in that than you think. Uh, so the first thing is Sabbaths. So let's look at a few of these passages. Um, look at Leviticus 25. Let's look at the, the law that was given. Leviticus chapter 25. And uh, let's read verses 1, 1 through 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Now listen to this. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the Lord, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. Now, the next time you talk to someone who says they keep the law, ask them when the last time was they took an entire year off from work. They don't even know that's there. They think keeping the Sabbath means not doing anything productive on Saturday. <laughs> okay, well, what about, what about this Sabbath where you take off an entire year? What about, what about the, the Sabbath where you... Where you, where you you take off an entire seven years. So when, when, when was the last time you exercised that? <laughs> and they're just going to be looking at you like you're crazy because they, they didn't know that existed. They didn't know the law said that. They think, I just don't do certain things on Saturday, so that means that I'm keeping the Sabbath. Did you cook food? Did you go shopping? You didn't do anything on Saturday? I just have a hard time believing that. I went to church. Well, it required work to get there. Isn't that violating the Sabbath by going to church on the Sabbath? It just, all right, anyway, so verse 5, That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the, unto the what? The land. Well, they violated this. Now listen to what God says in verse 6. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee, and for thy servant, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee. All right, so the Lord said your, your, your meat would be the Sabbath. All right, and that every, every six years, the seventh year, the land had to have a Sabbath, had to have a, a year of rest. All right? They didn't, they didn't keep that. Look at Leviticus 26, and this is where it gets interesting. Verses 27 through 35. Then let him count the years of the, of the sale thereof. Uh, I'm not in the right place. 26, uh, verse 27. Let's try it again. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you, what? Seven times. Okay, that's very important. Just make a note of that. We'll come back to that. Uh, verse 29 and ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. So this is not going to go well if, if they're going to violate God's Sabbaths. Right? Now... Is this the, ver the, the chapter? Look at chapter 28 real fast. I just want to show you something in reference to this. I think it's 28. Oh, no, there's not. Oh, no, that's in Deuteron Deuteronomy 28. That's Because this passage that we just read is very reminiscent of Deuteronomy 28. Um, now I want you to see something. Look at verse 1. And it shall come to pass... If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe 
and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will, will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. All right, everybody see that? And for the next 15 verses, God says, if you obey me, here are all the wonderful things I'm going to do for you. Now look at verse 15. But, <laughs> there's the but. Here's where it turns negative. Verse 15, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now, 14 verses. If you obey me, here's the wonderful things I'm going to do. Verse 15 all the way to verse 68. <laughs> if you disobey me, these are all the things I'm going to do to you. Just do, let's just obey God <laughs> and not get on his bad side. I mean, the blessings are great. There's only 14 verses of blessings, but they're all wonderful. But, but there's 53 verses <laughs> of the negative consequences to disobedience. You, you just don't want to be on God's bad side. You don't want to disobey. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with, I mean, it, 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 it does have reference to what's happening to Judah, but that, that's not, our, our Sabbaths are, um, go back to Leviticus 26 real quick. We should have read one verse before I took you out of there. Um, let's read it real quick. Verse 28. I oh, know we already we did read that. Yeah, verse 28 is, is the one that, that notes the seven the punishment of seven times. All right, so don't worry about going back there. Look at um, so we read in we read in 2 Chronicles 36, 21. Actually, let's go, let's just go back there. It's important enough to go back and look at it in reference to what we're talking about. Look, go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It is worth rereading. Verse 21. All right, now we read all through how God said there was no remedy. I'm sending them into captivity, right? Well, why? Verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. Now, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill Three score and ten years. The Lord said, if you, if you violate this, this Sabbath for the land, I will punish you seven times. And he sent them into captivity for 70 years. Now, let's just keep going. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, look at Jeremiah 25. We'll just keep pushing through, and then you'll, you'll see it all at the end. Jeremiah 25, verses 9 through 12. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and, and the light of the candle, and this whole land shall be desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Right? Everybody see that? Now, Judah was given this 70-year punishment in captivity because they had violated God's Sabbath for 490 years. Now, there's a little equation here. The Sabbath was to be kept every seven years, right? The, the seventh year, right? Six years, you can labor, you can work, you can work your fields, you, do whatever you, you know, do whatever you need to do. The seventh year, you rest. Seven times 70 is what? 
490 years. He said, I will punish you seven times, so you're going into captivity for 70 years because of your continual violation of my Sabbath. And then if you go through and you divide seven into 490, it all, it all just works out in this miraculous way as though God had something to do with it. Uh, now, remember in Leviticus 16, the Lord said he would chastise them seven times for their sin. Now, it also, the second thing was, is the second reason is their transgressions. Now, when, when does God make a final end of their transgressions? The tribulation. That's Daniel 9, the cha- Daniel chapter 9, the seven-year tribula- tribulation period. We just read it a few minutes ago. God said the purpose for it is to bring an end to transgression. Now, when did God bring an end to your transgression? He died on the cross and you trusted in him, right? So then the tribulation period has nothing to do with us, which we'll get into more when we get there. But the tribulation period is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob being another word for who? Israel. It's Israel's trouble, not ours. It's Israel's transgression that's being dealt with, not ours. Ours were dealt with at Calvary. If you trusted in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, your soul is saved, you're set. Right? All right, good. Um, 1 Chronicles 9. 1 Chronicles chapter 9. Bethany loves any chapter 9. Every night we read the Bible together, and every night, whatever, we read one, one chapter together as a family, and I always ask her every night, what are we reading tonight? And she says, Chapter 9. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Galatians chapter 4. <laughs> but every night, without fail, she says, chapter 9. All right, First uh, uh, Chronicles 9, verse 1. So all Israel were reckoned by genealogies, and behold, they were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, who were carried away to Babylon for their... Transgressions. Ezra chapter 5. It's interesting the way the Lord ends 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Um, and then it picks up immediately, right where he left off in 2 Chronicles 36 in the book of Ezra chapter 1 with Cyrus. So um, interesting to look at. Ezra 5 verse 12. But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the uh, the Chaldean, who destroyed his house and carried the people away into Babylon. All right, so they were taken because of their transgression. They provoked God to wrath through their disobedience and their transgressions. God warned all of Israel in Deuteronomy 28, which we just looked at briefly, what would happen if they were obedient and what would happen if they were disobedient. They decided to tempt God and see. There's a popular saying today, mess around and find out. Don't mess around with God and find out. Mess around with God and find out in a positive way, through obedience. You don't want to tempt God and then have God take you up on your offer. It will not go well. So, so you, want to, you want to apply that idea in the most basic fundamental aspects of life. Just get up and pray and read your Bible and then do what it says. <laughs> and then study it and memorize it. Get it in your heart and mind and do what it says. And you, it'll be well with you. You'll please God. You'll please man. Life will go well. You're not going to be without problems. That's going to happen, but you'll have a biblical answer and solution to those problems. And you'll have God's help through those problems. Like, I don't know, Daniel in Babylon? Seems to me like he had a few problems to deal with. But he had God on his side. He had God to help him, and, and it went well for him. So, we are strangers and pilgrims here. That's, that's, we, we need God's help. 
Now, the third reason. The sins of Manasseh. And that guy was evil. 2 Kings 24. Monica enjoyed that way too much. Do you write well? You write nice? Let me see your handwriting. Bring it over here. Don't, don't, don't. That's not going to get you anywhere. You have witnesses? They're not hired witnesses? 2 Kings 24, let's read verses 3 and 4. Surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed, where he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Think about that. So you, you, and this is where it becomes, this is where the confusion comes in with Josiah, right? Because we read about Josiah, and we're, look at all these great things he's doing. Why did God take him out? I mean, why did God cut Josiah's life short? Well, you have Manasseh, who, who, I mean, you had kings in between, but you get down to Josiah, and God says, I, I, sure, I sure appreciate that guy. But I cannot pardon what Manasseh did. I will not pardon Manasseh. It, it has to be dealt with. And so that's where, I, that, you know, studying the Bible, a lot of people all, often ask, why do you think God took out Josiah? What do you, what do you think that was about? Well, this is, this, it had nothing to do with Josiah personally. I mean, Josiah didn't do everything perfect, though he was a great king. He was a wonderful king. But this is the reason. It's Manasseh. God said, I cannot pardon what he did. It has to be dealt with. You're going into captivity. You've got to be dealt with. Now, he gave Judah an opportunity to repent and, and, and said he would turn away his wrath. They said, no. We're going to hang on to Baal. We want the temple of God, and we want Baal. <laughs> it just, it's amazing how that can work out. Now, Something else to think about with reference to this. People often convince themselves their decisions will not impact the lives of others. You, wouldn't, you couldn't get that idea from the Word of God. Repeatedly in the Word of God, the decisions of someone else had a major impact on the lives of other people. So you should never get alone and think, well, what I do doesn't matter to anybody else, won't impact anybody else. It absolutely will. It has a national impact on your country. It has an impact on your family. has an impact on you individually. has an impact on the name of Jesus Christ in this country and around here and the people that know you. What, your decisions have a massive impact everywhere you go. So you should not get the idea, well, I'm, I'm, it's just me. I'm alone. I'm not going to hurt anything. Well, tell that to Judah sitting in captivity because God refused to pardon Manasseh. Tell that to the men on the ship with Jonah. Like, what did we do? Why are we in this storm? Because oh, Jonah's there. Jonah's decision caused all of that to happen. And now all those men are terrified of their lives, dumping cargo off the ship, calling out to their gods, casting lots, doing everything they can to try and find a solution to this. And the whole time it was Jonah. Your decisions impact Everybody else, choose wisely. If you don't care about your family, you don't care about your country, you don't care about the people around you, then you go do what you want. Go act like Jonah. But if you do, and you want to please God, then choose wisely. Be careful. Jeremiah the prophet warned Judah of the coming captivity. Let's see, we've got a lot to read here. We'll try to get through this section, and then it'll, um, we'll pick up with Jeremiah 27 next week. This is all still under verse 1, uh, but this is all the background information as to why we're in captivity in Babylon and why this is happening. 
Uh, turn to Jeremiah 26. Let's read verses 1 through 15 quickly, and then we'll talk about these verses. Um, th- this passage is very important with reference to the captivity. Jeremiah 26, verses 1 through 15. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. You see all these names coming back repeatedly over and over and over, same people. It's too bad Jehoiakim couldn't follow Josiah. All right. Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. If so be, they will hearken, and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil. Who's talking? The Lord is talking. What's he saying right now? Go stand in that temple, preach to these people, tell them if they will repent, I will repent. I have evil planned against them that I will turn away if they will repent. But this is where, and this passage is going to demonstrate the confusion around repentance. People think they can walk up and say, I repent, I'm sorry. Okay? How are you going to fix it? How are you going to make it right? Repentance is not just walking into the room. I mean, I use this with Muslims all the time. Muslims say, you know, you've got to keep the five pillars of Islam in order to go to heaven. Well, do you do that? Well, no, of course not. So how are you going to go to wherever it is you go when you die? Allah will forgive me. What? You mean you didn't do what he said and he's still going to let you go? Like, how does that work? And so I always use this illustration if you have a murderer standing before a judge and he walks into the courtroom, they have all the evidence against him, they know he did it, and he says, Judge, I only killed one person. I'm, I'm really sorry I did that. Okay, we forgive you. Let him go. Is that justice? Not at all. Thank you for, for, for wanting forgiveness. Appreciate it. That's good. I'm glad you have a heart of repentance. Now, how are you going to fix this? What's going to happen to that man? He's going to prison. And that's an unjust judge. Most likely a lost man. And that judge would never let that man walk free because he's a murderer and they have the evidence against him. But somehow your God, Allah, will let you violate his word not do what he says, and then he's just going to let you walk into heaven or whatever it is, wherever it is you're going when you die? That's an unjust God. But that's man's view of repentance. They say, well, I said I was sorry. (laughs) You, You committed adultery. You stole from people. You hurt someone. You, 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 you can't just walk in a room and say, well, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. <laughs> I'm glad you're sorry. Now, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to repair this? David poured his heart out to God, and God said, well, you got three options for your, for your punishment. Which one do you want? I'm not going to kill you, which is required under the law. You committed adultery, and then you committed murder. But since you're repentant and since you're my chosen king, the sword will never leave from thy house. You, you, you don't want to play with repentance and play with God in this way. You don't know what you might bring upon yourself. All right, so I didn't get very far. It's Monica's fault. We got less than 10 minutes to get through all this. What verse did I leave off on? <laughs> all right. Look back at verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, stand in... The, I didn't even get through all the verse 2. That's what it was. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house, all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Now look at this. Diminish not a word. You don't want to be Jeremiah in this situation. <laughs> He's telling him, I want you to go in the temple. 
And I want you to preach to them what I'm about to give you to preach to them. And don't you diminish a single word of it. Say, like, Lord, you know what they're going to do? You know what they've been doing to me? And you want me to go in there and tell them this? Yeah. Now look how it goes. Watch what happens. Verse 3. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, that I may repent me of the evil which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, If you will not hearken to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not hearkened. Then will I make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. Now, is that not true of Israel? Nearly every nation on the earth hates the Jews. Only a few stand with them. Not many. And the few that do seem to have some blessing on them from God. But generally speaking, people hate the Jews. And they don't even know why. It's more a spiritual problem than it is a racial or, or xenophobic problem. It's, 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 it's a spiritual, spiritual issue. Verse 7, So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah. They heard him, right? According to God. They heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Verse 8, Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking. They let him finish before they grabbed him. All that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. Thanks, God. <laughs> Diminish not a word, you know. Uh, praise the Lord. Verse 9. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate within, with, without inhabitation? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Verse 10, when the, prince of Judah, when the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes, and, and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard with your ears. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to the people, saying, The Lord sent me. <laughs> God told me to say that. He's going to tell them, Look, you do what you want, but God told me to say that. So you're about to fight against God. You can take me and do whatever you want to me. I wish you wouldn't. I wish you'd leave me alone. But God told me to say that. And he told me not to diminish a word. <laughs> he didn't let me change a single letter. <laughs> I had to say everything that he said to say, and now you're mad at me. All right, the people saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Therefore, now amend your ways. How's that going to go? All right, not only, not only am I going to double down, but I'm telling you the princes, the priests, and all the people, amend your ways. That is repentance. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. No. You're still going the same places, doing the same thing, talking the same way, walking the same way, thinking the same way. You haven't amended your ways. At one point, Jeremiah told the king and the queen, sit down, amend your ways. <laughs> that is repentance. Now, what's the amendment? Turn away from what you're doing and obey the word of God. Do what I'm telling you. I'm not, I, Jeremiah, I'm not just here trying to get a crowd and get you all riled up. I'm trying to tell you what God said. And if you don't listen, the next step is captivity. Amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold... I am in your hand. And there you go again. As for me, behold, I have an army waiting. I have guns. I have a militia. We'll fight against the government. Look, I told you what God said to tell you. Now I'm in your hands. You do what you want. I'll suffer the consequences, whatever they are. 
But I'm not changing what I said. I'm not going to diminish a word. I'm not, I'm not altering the message in any way. I'm sorry. So Jeremiah told them, you do what you have to do. Uh, as for me, behold, I am in your hand to do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. That's not a good thing to say to a mob who wants you to die. But that's just acknowledging the reality of the situation. I, I have a choice here. I could go in there and I could change the words of God. In fact, I could cause these people to love me like that. They're already mad at me. They're angry with me because of what I've been preaching. If I walked into this temple and said, God changed his mind. He loves all of you. He thinks your writing is so wonderful and, and everything's just so good. And, and, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. God is love. He's a big teddy bear in the sky. He just wants a hug. Oh, he loves you so much. Would have changed the tide. They wouldn't be dragging him to the city gates to kill him. That's not what he did. Diminish not a word. Yes, sir. Or do you know how this is going to go when they hear this? Don't you change a word. You go tell them what I told you to tell them. You make it clear. And then be prepared to suffer the consequences. And he was. Verse 15, but, but know ye for certain that if you put me to death, you shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth, the Lord has sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. He made it clear to him, look, I, I'm not going to fight you. Do what you want. But the Lord sent me here to tell you this. So you put me to death. You kill me because of this, you're just you're digging that hole deeper. It's, it's already part of the reason you're in trouble. God sent prophets to you and you killed them. <laughs> you, you persecuted them. Why would you make it worse? And, and of course, they were determined to do so. All right. Now, we were, my plan was to go through these, um, that passage piece by piece, we just we don't have time for it, um, and we talked about it quite a bit as we read it. So, I think it's already been made clear. There are some things I want you to notice, though. If you go back and read this passage, it's a very important word that we don't often like. Who uses that word multiple times? The Lord did. Meaning he didn't know necessarily what Judah was going to choose. He gave them the option, if you will repent, then I will repent. If you will not repent, then I have to carry out what I have prophesied, what I have planned to do. This is the way God always works when it comes to these situations. This is where ideas like predestination and foreknowledge and all that from Calvinism get, get really confused with the reality of the Word of God. God predestinates or predetermines the outcome. The choice is yours. Repeatedly, the Bible indicates God doesn't know what you're going to choose. But he does know what the consequences are going to be if you choose to obey him or if you choose to disobey him. Do you see that in this passage? If you repent and do what I say, then I will do A. If you don't repent and you continue your disobedience... Then I will do B. Those are your choices. What do you want to do? Any questions? That is where we will stop tonight. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. 
please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.